Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Lives podcast. The show that explores life purpose by taking you on a journey into different people's unique and somewhat squiggly worlds. We're your hosts, Helena and Claire. In this incredibly heartfelt and fascinating episode, we talk with Cornflower, who is a solo vocal musician from Tennessee. We cover so much in this episode, starting with Cornflower's music influences and how his music became a sensation in the global ecstatic dance community. We talk about physical and mental health, family background, the importance of men being in touch with their emotions, the power and healing properties of psilocybin, the hallucinogenic found in certain mushrooms, being in tune with your intuition and so much more. I want to express such gratitude for having Cornflower on the show and think you're going to love this episode. We've also included his track, You Are The Medicine, at the end of this episode, so please do give it a listen and a dance to. Welcome, Cornflower. Thanks for coming on. Nice to see you it's after a few weeks. Great. Yes. <laughs> um, so we're going to kick off with, I think, and dive straight into your music career, I think, um, because I know that's awesome. a big priority for you at the moment. And we actually met in person a few weeks ago now. And I remember you telling me about this one track that before you even decided to focus a lot more on your music, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if I've got the story completely right, Um, but you decided to focus on your music more recently. But then you also had a track online years before this point that you then had seen it being downloaded in all these corners of the world and you discovered it was being used in ecstatic dance ceremonies and groups. And yeah, I wondered if you could tell us a bit about that story and then also just about your music career so far and how it started. Right on, you know, you're really close to the truth in that. Um, uh, But you know, being at festivals and having conversations, it's not always hard to retain all the information, (laughs) nor is it always the easiest to clearly communicate the details. I'm pointing at myself. Yeah, so so maybe I'll start with the music career and then get into the story that you're speaking of specifically, Heli. I've been making sounds literally my whole life. Uh, I mean, I'll, you know, anyone who has a voice box was making sounds, but I specifically would repeat every sound I heard to the point of driving my family and my friends a little crazy. And my teachers in class Actually, one of uh, my teachers, my Spanish teacher in high school said, you're never going to get anywhere making sounds like that. And um, then years later, he came to one of my concerts and he said, I'm officially pulling my foot out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so, yeah, you know, when I was a little kid, I would mimic cartoon characters on television. You know, if we're in the car and we drove by like an like a a site where they're building something and you hear like industrial sounds, I would be repeating those industrial sounds and just had an affinity for sound and, and, and wanting to recreate and mimic what I was hearing around me. So that then led into my cousin who was really into hip hop in the, you know, mid to late eighties, early nineties. Um, we would go to the beach with the, like the family. So my family and then my cousins, my uncles and aunts would all go and get a place on the beach together. And, you know, I'd sleep on the floor. We'd have like just a few rooms and then the whole family would like camp out inside of the house um, and then go to the beach every day and go eat together. And it was just, 
really special. But he taught me how to beatbox when I was 11 years old. And for those of you who don't know what beatboxing is, it's where you make instrument sounds with your voice. And it originates most modernly from the early 80s in um, New York City, where people would have, you know, the want to rap. And usually, if they had money, they would play music on a boom box and rap over top of it, or have DJs playing records and scratching, and then they would be rapping over top of the records. Now, what ended up happening was a lot of the people didn't have the money, that, you know, like younger kids, especially in their teens, who were wanting to recreate this experience. Um, they didn't have the money for a boom box or, or you know, uh, records and so they would mimic the sounds of the music with their mouth so that's that then became very famous and i know some people know who rozelle is or shlomo or beardy man there's a lot of beatboxers there was like beatboxing competitions in the uk that now spread around the world um and it's a huge thing i really fell into it and loved it and then ended up hearing i don't know if you know bobby mcferrin uh, who is globally recognized as one of the most amazing vocalists in the world. He created uh, the whole sound of a band with just his voice live in the moment. And um, his famous song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, which most people attribute, that's how they know who he is. He literally hates that song because he wrote it in like five minutes. And um, anyway, that's a whole other story. I got to meet him and study with him. But uh, when I was 11, I, I listened to that song and I literally could not stop singing it and making it. And I was just like, I could not stop. It was incessant. So I did that for years. And then in high school, um, I was introduced to a, a young man who was a drummer who heard me sing. I think it was a lesson in my Latin class. I was taking Latin because I was raised Catholic and my dad really wanted me to learn uh, Latin so that I could do the Catholic part of church and Latin and all this stuff, which is cool, but uh, ancient and <laughs> not really applicable to my life whatsoever. But the cool thing was, was in the class, I met this kid and he heard me sing. We had one of the lessons where we had to sing in Latin. And so he heard me sing and was like, hey, you're pretty good at that. Do you want to form a band? And I said, Sure. <laughs> so I became uh, the leader of a rock band called The Lounge in high school. And uh, we got really good and started having, you know, sold out shows in the area. And um, right when we were graduating, my guitarist, who is my key songwriting partner, is way smarter than all of us in the band and was actually being scouted by Boeing. He was his numbers in his testing was so high and his interests were to become an engineer. And so they wanted to hire him like out basically out of college and help him go through that whole process. And I told him, you need to do that because I have no clue what will happen with this music. I can't promise you anything. So anyway, I, uh, I then followed the band fish around, which is how I met Helly. And uh, I would, uh, this was in the mid to late 90s and I would go to the show and I would sing along with the band as if my voice was a fifth instrument 
And then I would leave the show and it was like, I would keep the show going after it ended. And I would walk out into the parking lot and people would circle around me. And my friends were like, you have to do something with that. So one thing led to another. I started doing uh, all improv, acapella, vocal, open mics in Athens, Georgia. And then got an opportunity to play on the Georgia theater stage, which was a huge honor uh, between two acts. And that really kind of set things in motion. And then when I, I moved out to Ashland, Oregon, I started open micing out there. And before you know it, I was booking my own gigs. And then the community rallied around me and bought me a loop pedal. And uh, for all of you who don't know what a loop pedal is, it, I think it first came out in the 70s. And it was used in studios to overdub recordings. And so basically what I can do is I can sing into a microphone into the loop pedal. And the thing that I just sang will be repeated over and over again. And then I can add new layers over top of it live in the moment. And so I can create the sound of a band by creating instrument sounds with my voice and then sing over top of it as if I'm one band. So that's been a lot of fun. It's been an amazing journey. I've been doing the looping for 16 years now and have been doing the music for about yeah, 19 years, I would say. But I didn't really get serious about it until 2005 when I studied with Bobby McFerrin and realized that I was a musician and this is what I wanted to do with my life. And from there, um, 2009, I released my album Journey into Sound, which gets us to your original question, Ellie, about this story. Uh, I was touring in 2016 and was in Nelson, BC, which is basically Shangri-La on Earth for anyone who needs a vacation spot, even though well, maybe once, once the, the world's interesting situation is currently in has, has calmed down and you can travel to Canada. Anyway, I was there and after the show, a woman came up to me and said, hey, I just wanted you to know, first off, I can't believe you're only one person. I thought you were a band. And two, I play your music every Sunday at, at something called Dance Church. And I'd never heard of this before. And she explained to me about ecstatic dance and the conscious movement community around the world, about five rhythms, and then explained to me that they played my music at a conference for ecstatic dancers in Findhorn, Scotland, in front of like 1,500 people, like at the climax of the ecstatic dance, they played my music. And then all of a sudden the wheels started clicking and I remembered going back through all of my stats for sales online, digital downloads and would see, you know, St. Petersburg, Russia, South Africa, Central America, South America, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and, and it all started clicking. That's what was happening. People were buying my tracks and playing them on dance floors. So at that point I was bawling, I was a hot mess. Because up until that point, I've been playing clubs and bars, you know, a few fans here and there, a lot of people looking at me like a puppy wanting to have some food, you know, like, huh? And so to find my community of people that not only really resonated with what I was creating, but were moving their bodies, which was always the intention with my music was to create movement because in movement, we're able to feel, we're able to connect with our body. We're able to remember who we really are. We're able to uncover parts of ourselves that may have been hidden from the day to day, the thinking of the past or thinking of the future. It gets us into the present, gets us into our breath. And, you know, my main message and intention of my music is to inspire, empower, and awaken 
the unique gift that each individual who's listening to it has for this world and for their life. And so, um, you know, so, so within the ecstatic dance community, it's been a really great, wonderful thing. So in 2016, I find this out and then I started designing uh, music sets around it because it's, for those of you who don't know ecstatic dance, it's very different from going to a club. You know, you're, it, the whole idea is you don't drink alcohol. It's a safe space for everyone to come and feel safe to just drop into a personal practice of movement. And you don't have to have any dance skills. It's just about moving your body to the music and opening yourself to something, whatever that is that you need in that moment. And um, I think that's why some, some of it's called dance church, because there is a somewhat of a spiritual quality to that process. And, you know, it goes back to tribal times before our civilization where people gathered and danced to heal themselves. You know, uh, there's a joke, you know, the joke like of uh, take two of these and call me in the morning that doctors would say, well, with shamans, the joke is shamans would say, have you sung or danced? You know, like if you're feeling unwell, have you been singing or dancing? Because if you haven't, you need to do those two things and then come back to me because they, they're the two physical things of the human body that immediately connect with our breath, that open us to ourselves and remind us who we are. It's like the resonance of our sound and the, the feeling and embodiment of being with our body, this, our best friend really that's been with us from birth, you know, our, the only friend that will be there with us when we depart, you know, no matter what, you know, and so that was just really significant for me. So to design a set that really fits that mold was unique because it's not like I can play a song and then stop and say hello to everybody because everyone's in their dance and so you have to build and it has to be connected and it goes up and becomes ecstatic and comes back and mellows out and so it's been a really incredible journey feel like you know I've been doing it for 16 years solid and like really focused and I feel like I'm just getting started so it's really a beautiful thing and that's kind of it in a nutshell it's it's funny you've mentioned five rhythms and the whole ecstatic dance because as soon as I heard your music that's instantly what what I thought I thought this music makes me just want to dance and I've, I've been a few times to five rhythms in in London um just yeah for anyone listening it's an incredible thing to try and experience what I find fascinating is that you didn't originally create the music necessarily for this ecstatic dance community but this community of people all over the world somehow found you so I was just wondering you mentioned before movement and dance and that's how you wanted your music to be experienced I'm wondering whereabouts when you were making the music you envisioned people kind of experiencing it if it was in say a festival scene or a club scene or yeah what you what you had in mind that's a great question. I, um, I'm, I'm influenced by just about everything, but the, I think to answer your question directly, it's through my experience with fish. I found in the fish community a sense of home because it was just this present moment experience where we all felt a part of something bigger than ourselves. And um, we're, we were invited in to co-create and share our unique presence with the community and, 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 you know, an old friend of mine who was a big Grateful Dead fan, Deadhead, he told me this experience he had where he would walk into a large stadium that they were playing at, literally in the nosebleeds, you know, no one 
you could barely see the stage from and he was walking back with a couple of beers and he slipped and when he slipped he said that the bassist phil lesh went pew like as if it was a soundtrack to his slip like right at the same moment and as he tried to get up jerry did something jerry garcia did something that sounded like it was him rising up from falling and it was this moment where when he was telling me that I had had that experience, but I'd never been able to articulate it. This feeling like I am a part of the band uh, and that the band has opened themselves to exploring the fact that they're just instruments of something way bigger than them. And their whole goal is to get out of their own way and let the music move through them as opposed to create music for the audience but to be a part of the music and let the audience also be a part of that music and so for me i wanted to create that exact experience um because it's been so transformative in my life and healing for me and helped me find myself and what i'm here to do and so to be able to create that experience for others is like my primary goal so i see that in concerts festivals but i've found myself in yoga studios playing music for people who are doing yoga uh, and, and creating music based on the facilitator's words and direction for the yogis who are in moving into the different positions uh, during asana and, and like then in ecstatic dance, watching the dancers move and making sounds based on what the dancers are doing. So I'm really trying to recreate that experience, which is me practicing my gear and my and 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 strengthening my vocal cords and then showing up and getting out of the way so that all of the tools are no I, I know how to function and move all of the stuff but really i'm just a i'm like a a marionette there's something else moving through that's that's saying do this do that follow this follow that and i'm just going pushing the buttons hoping that it all comes out well and does, you know fulfills that intention so yeah, I mean, it's amazing because I've, I've been found myself at clubs, bars, festivals, you know, played in front of like 3000 people at a festival a couple of times. And um, that's just one of the most exhilarating things. And, you know, my ultimate goal is to be able to headline places. I want to be at the stage where I'm playing in front of thousands of people and sharing this experience with others because of what it's done for me. I want to create that for others. So. It's fascinating that I know you named the Grateful Dead and Fish as two of your biggest influences. Um, I'm sure you have many others, but it's interesting when I've listened to them, that's exactly that experience that they're this vessel for something bigger. And it's not about them. They're not on stage to be, you know, looked at to be the performer, but they're about creating um, something bigger and a bigger community. And it's interesting how you might have um, a different style from their music in some ways, in some ways not, I know there's a lot of parallels, but you have a different style, but that's the core of what um, sort of you took from them as well, or maybe not just the core, but part of what you took from them, that not only their words and their style influenced you, but it's that sort of the essence of what they're doing influenced you, and then you took it in a different direction. That's, uh, yeah, really fascinating Yeah, for me. I mean, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I, I grew up a Beastie Boy fan, you know, way into the Beasties and hip hop culture. Um, and, and then my brother, who's nine and a half years older than I am, 
uh, would be sending me in middle school. At the time, I was listening to what Billy Ocean and Phil Collins and stuff like that. <laughs> and my brother then just 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 like picture yourself a middle schooler or in junior high or whatever it's called, uh, wherever you are, and um, you're sitting there and the, the the music of your life is Caribbean Queen by Billy Ocean, and then you get in the mail a stack of cassette tapes of bootleg recordings of DJs like Doc Martin, Frankie Knuckles, all of these like old school house, deep funky house music from, you know, these dark warehouses in the center of New York City. And you put that in the tape player. And then all of a sudden you go from Caribbean Queen to you know it's like my mind was completely blown so i was deeply influenced by rave culture and house music and drum and bass and electronica and so my music is very rhythm focused uh which comes back to the dance element because like at raves i went to raves and the same thing happened like at fish except i was dancing and so a lot of people considered me a pretty good dancer and would circle around me at like you know two or three in the morning when the music was bumping, I would be doing a mixture of like ballet and break dance in the middle of the dance floor. And I just, I couldn't help myself but to express my joy through movement and, and bring people in and like connect with people and just like share this experience with one another. So, um, so dance has been a crucial part and electronic has been a major factor in my music. And so, you know, when you're saying it sounds different, it definitely does. You know, I mean, there's certain things where I try to mimic a guitar sound and I do a horrible job of trying to sound like Trey or Jerry Garcia, but I, it's, it's, it's such a, a thing that I love that I, I, I want to recreate that to the best of my abilities with my voice. Um, I was actually talking with someone just the other day about that, um, about how, you know, not many people listen to music the same. Um, and I noticed that I've grown as a listener, uh, as I've become a musician, I've, I've like before, when I would listen to music before I considered myself a musician, I was just receiving, uh, it was just all one sound being like sort of moved through me. And now, like when I listen, it's almost as if, uh, I don't know if you've seen a beautiful mind, the movie, a beautiful mind, but like where like all the little, he's, he's like thinking of all these amazing things and you see it all sort of floating around his head. Um, all the little pieces and math and numbers and figures. And I sort of see music like that. It's like, it's like, I feel it coming in and I open up this window, like a canvas in front of me. And I see all the pieces and the instruments and the layers to the music. And I can hear and see all of it happening simultaneously. And then I can zoom in on the baseline and go, oh, listen to that. And uh, one of the things I've learned is like with vocal, being a vocal instrumentalist, you know, having to mimic instrument sounds. This has been done before. Uh, the band Led Zeppelin, Robert Plant, one of my huge, biggest musical vocalist influences. Uh, actually, if you listen back to him singing, you know, he would do a lot of guttural kind of like calling like haunting sounds that didn't have words connected to them. Those, he was mimicking a guitar with his voice. Um, and Louis Armstrong, who everybody knows, you know, what a wonderful world and all of his beautiful music that he brought to this earth. 
but he, when he sang, would mimic the sound of a trumpet. So there's a lot of um, interesting things that I've been able to apply from just looking at history and applying that to music. And um, but the, you know, there's a lot of flavors in there. I've been just brought up with classical music and jazz and just all kinds of different sounds, country and bluegrass. I was born and raised in the home of country music and bluegrass. So about 20 minutes from here is uh, what's considered the home of country music. I'm, I'm actually I'm actually broadcasting to you today from the home that my mom and dad moved into two weeks before I was born. Um, so it is very special to be back here, but just 20 minutes down the road from the home I was born in and raised in uh, was the home of country music. And then uh, the Carter family fold, which is where the Carter family who June Carter married um, Johnny Cash um, and their music is just like, I think they released the first official country music record uh, uh, ever. And so, um, you know, that's that's been so like, I've, I've been steeped in a lot of music and um, I love all music. I can, I can always find something good, even in music that most people may not like. Uh, because when you become a musician, you learn to listen and find the magical gift in everything. And so I've really tried to take everything in and and receive it. Even I've actually found myself becoming an older person because I've had a harder time doing that with some newer music that's coming out. <laughs> and I, I promised myself I would never be that person. And um, I heard some music the other day and I was like, that's a tough one. <laughs> I'm going to have a hard time learning to love that music, but it's a good challenge. <laughs> uh, what, what was the music out of curiosity? We'll just put it in the category. It's pop music that is currently out there. Um, you know, but for instance, I'm a huge Coldplay fan. A lot of people dog on this band that, that just, I feel captures the energy that I'm, that I love about music and that, that experience of lifting people you know lifting people out of the day-to-day -day, the past future and really bringing them into their heart bringing them into the present moment we so need that we so need that connection and and that feeling to, to be more primary in our lives instead of secondary or tertiary because of all of the other details that we put before our own connection and desires and happiness and joy because we have to pay the bills or have to pick up the kids or whatever you know the person just cut in front of me ah you know or there's so many opportunities for us to lose coherence with our natural state of joy and love and innocence and magic and and i i want to that my music in, in my life really my music's just a facet it's like a it, it's a, you know a, a part of the wheel you know of my life and my life i want to help people feel more connected and with who that, that that joy and that magic and that love and so anyway your music seems to have um a really primal quality then really and also a spiritual quality not just through your words and the sounds but also for the experience that you have in yourself as well um and you seem to have internalized that sort of um present moment awareness and a lot of the things that come, I don't know, through yoga practice and meditation and those kind of spiritual teachings as well. And I wondered if that feeds into your um, your music and the way, if you write lyrics as well, I'm not sure if you write your lyrics, I mean, we haven't asked you about that, but if that feeds into it. 
Yeah, so real quick with the lyrics thing, you know, my music started from purely improvisation and it was purely just vocal gibberish. Uh, there was no words. And then sometimes the gibberish I was saying, I would go, oh, that sounds like heart or awaken, or that sounds like my purpose. You know, I would just be making weird sounds and then it would just, I actually, this might sound a little out there, but I, I actually see a blue fuzzy light above the right side of my head, around my crown of my head, and when I'm playing music. And to give a little bit of background, and this connects also with the spiritual question you were asking, and when I was conceived, two weeks later, my mom had a major blood hemorrhage and almost lost her life. And it was because my twin died. I had a fraternal twin, a female twin, who passed away in the womb uh, two weeks after my mom had conceived me. And so what that is, there's a couple different reasons why that's powerful. One, my mom actually learned that she was pregnant two weeks after being uh, conceiving me. She was given her life back. Uh, and my brother and sister still had their mom, which is awesome. But then I had basically eight and a half months plus of focused intention on my health and well-being before I was born. Um, and so it was pretty powerful, but I didn't even know any of this had happened until I was around 18. And my parents told me that I had had a fraternal twin that had passed away in the womb. So I had always felt something different about me and the world around me, my friends, just, you know, I'm a man in a biological male. I've got, you know, a penis and, and you know, I, I came into this world with that and yet I didn't feel like a lot of other men and I didn't have, I don't, you know, my dad was very loving and very present with emotions and would hold my hand and hug me and cry. And so I got really connected to um, being emotional and, and uh, expressing that side of me. I was never taught to shut that down. Um, so I had a very different experience from a lot of other men in, um, you know, I questioned my sexuality. Um, you know, my brother came out as gay and that made me go, oh, well, maybe I am too. Maybe that's what's different, you know, but I still loved women. So I, I slowly realized that that wasn't the case, but I still knew that there was something else that was going on in my life. And so when they told me that, it made a lot of sense to me. And I've had so many profound spiritual experiences, that being one of them, because I'd always felt like I had an angel around, like some presence of support that was there. Like I would almost get hit by a car and I would feel like something had moved me out of the way. Like literally I was almost hit by a car and I was just moved out of the way. Um, no, there was no other human around me, but I went from here to over there without doing anything. So there's been stuff like that that's happened throughout my life. Um, I overdosed three times. I was major, majorly off my head and doing lots of drugs in my late teens and early 20s. I believe has been um, not only, I wouldn't change it, but I definitely wouldn't recommend what I did because uh, I got very lucky that I'm still alive. 
the fact that I'm still alive, the fact that I haven't died, I feel there's a reason for that. I feel the reason that, that I didn't die with my twin in the womb. There's a reason for that. And so I feel that my life has some deeper meaning that I have to fulfill while I still get the greatest opportunity of breathing on this planet and being a part of this world and these crazy times we're in, I know that I'm here for a reason. And so the spiritual quality of the music is really embedded in my experience of my life and how magical and blessed it's been and how abrupt it was coming into the world and realizing that not everyone had that same experience and that I could possibly make a difference and that I could possibly even just in the simplest moments when I'm at a checkout line and you know, just look someone in the eyes when I'm talking with them and like see their name tag and say their name and wish them a good day or ask them what inspires them or you know, open the door for someone who's not expecting it, like little things. And it's not me going out of way of my ego to be a good guy. It's just, this is like, it's a natural flow of love into the world because I feel like I am overflowing with it from my life and what I have been given, the many privileges I've been given. I feel like I have, I'm the wealthiest person on the planet with love. And so if I can give a little bit away, I don't have a lot of money. I hope that that changes sometime soon, but I don't have a lot of money, but I do have a lot of love to give. And so that's what I can give. So instead of being able to give cash money to somebody on the street, I can look them in the eye and let them remember that I see them and that they're human and that they have purpose. And, you know, that there, there's, you know, one of the things I like to tell people is that, which blew my mind when I found out about it. I mean, this is just, this is like, every kid should know this. We, I, myself, Cornflower, I'm the only person who has my vocal cords. No one else not in the history of humanity, nor in the future of humanity, will ever have my vocal cords. They won't have my eyes. They won't have my fingerprints. So I get to touch the world uniquely with my fingerprints. No one else will have my fingerprints or my touch into this world. No one else will see the world the way I see it. And no one will ever sing or speak to this world the way I can. So I have a job to do to share my, what I see what I want to say and how I want to touch and connect. And so like, I mean, why aren't we telling kids that you don't have to win the award here or, or be the best of that. You already are the most special, unique thing that's ever been on the planet. And so is everyone else equally. Mind blowing, heart opening information that is sorely not being communicated to every kid on the planet I, I would like to ask um because you mentioned your dad I mean you're it sounds like you've had a really supportive loving upbringing and as you mentioned quite unique to have a dad that was really in touch with his emotions and would you want to talk a bit more about your upbringing sure well I'm here the home I was raised in. So I think it's only uh, right to honor, um, you know, one quick little sidebar about the home that we currently live in or that my mom still lives in is 
um, you know, they were lower middle class. Um, they didn't have a lot of money. And when they got married, my mom was telling me the story that uh, they went on their honeymoon. And then on the trip there, she asked my dad, where are we living after this? Like, where are we, where's home? Like, where are we going? And uh, my dad said, well, you know, maybe we can just go back and stay at my mom and dad's place for the night and just sort of figure it out from there. So when they got back to his mom and dad's house, they had set up a room for them, for them to live in, like expecting them to stay in their house. Now in American culture, that's very bizarre. You know, it's this, you, you, you move out, you go and get your job and you find your place and create your own unique little domain. And, you know, in other cultures, they group up with the family. It's like the grandparents, the great-grandparents, the parents, the kids, they're all hanging out. It's like a little village. Um, and that's very rare for that. And my grandparents, my dad's parents, gave my mom and dad so much love and support. And then when they wanted to move out, they gave them that house. They gave them the house and then moved out and got their own place. Uh, the parents, my grandparents moved out and got their own place with the rest of the kids. So if it wasn't for that, they wouldn't have been able to then sell that house, get the house that they moved into with my sister and brother, and then sell that house and then have the income to buy the house that it, they've been in ever since, or my mom's been in ever since. So I just wanted to honor, that's a pretty amazing thing. And, and it doesn't happen that often. Um, but yeah, so my dad and mom met when they were 14 years old in high school, and they fell deeply in love with one another. And despite, you know, things happening throughout their journey, they uh, ended up getting married and having three kids. I'm the baby. Um, and uh, it was, it was uh, incredible. My father is not only incredibly loving and supportive and always supported my dreams, but he hilarious uh very funny very reserved but when he spoke it was either really profound or really funny or deeply uh, emotional and loving and um anyway the um my mom who's just one of the most beautiful human beings i've ever met i was just telling her the other night that i just uh i hope i can grow up to be like her because she's so courageous and strong and her heart is just so wide open um, and she's so giving and generous. Um, I just wanna be like that. I wanna be that uh, agile in, as I age to, to continue to show up and have such an open heart to the world around her. Um, they both have just been incredible supports. My sister being 12 years older than me was like a second mom at times. Um, and I remember I like, yesterday us driving down the road and us singing songs together in the car and my brother who is probably my best friend uh in the world he is the primary reason uh for my creativity like he taught me how to draw when i was three he was a singer dancer and actor he's still an actor today living in los angeles and um he just presented a life outside of the world that was being presented to me by others. Uh, he showed me a world that I wasn't experiencing in my home. He, he brought the larger world into my life 
he's the one that introduced me to Led Zeppelin. He's the one that introduced me to all this music as I was talking about earlier. He sent me these bootlegs from Doc Martin and Frankie Knuckles. And he's the one that taught me about vegetarianism and then veganism uh, and just, you know, caring for life and animals and, and uh, plant life the same way we care for each other. Um, and so, and he's like the reason I have become politically motivated in the way that I'm an activist in my own right. And he's shown me so much and, uh, I would definitely not be where I am without his direction and influence and inspiration and love. So I, I was raised by basically four people and obviously my grandparents, I had two sets of incredible grandparents, um, also very loving my aunts and uncles and cousins. I mean, I was surrounded by love and people that cared about me and wanted me to succeed and wanted to support me. And when I started choosing a path that maybe they didn't agree with, they weren't mean to me about it. They just loved me more and prayed for me. So what a different way of approaching uh, life, you know? And, And I feel so incredibly blessed that I... I was telling my mom last night, actually, I said, I feel like whatever life I was living before this one, I must have done really good things because I was gifted so much goodness coming into this this life. And um, I'm eternally grateful for every single one of them. And I'm so grateful. My father uh, graduated the earth school in 2008. And uh, that was probably one of the hardest moments of my life because he was also like a best friend. and uh major you know as i've said major part of who i am and but i and one of the other aspects of my music is that he taught me that in his passing he taught me that you don't end your body does but you don't and i've I've experienced him he's shown up in my life so many ways through wind through birds through sunlight through just rain. I mean, like some of the most elemental, some of the silliest stuff, like uh, uh, a fortune cookie, um, music, you know, it's, and it is, it's such a, a gift to, to feel him show up continually without identity, without the limitations of form and identification and, and judgment and, you know, our history uh, as a personality, but as our soul, you know, this luminous quality that's free of all of that and free of time, free of space. And yeah, I feel eternally blessed and grateful for for the life that I've been given from my family because I would not be where I am today without them. Talking about background and upbringing um, is, if you don't mind talking a bit about the root of your name and, the your your name being cornflower now which is such a beautiful one but i know um you have another name as well and then i uh, the story around that yes okay so so when i was born my parents named me john francis um john was named after saint john the baptist or excuse me saint john the beloved not saint john the baptist saint john the beloved uh and my middle name francis came from saint francis of assisi uh, as I mentioned earlier, I believe I was raised Catholic. And uh, so, yeah, so those names, even though I don't go by them in the world, uh, my mom still calls me John Francis. 
my um, sister still calls me John Francis. Uh, so I still have that name and I still receive it because it is such a part of who I am. I really resonate with both of the people that the names were given to me from, um, especially St. Francis in that um, I've always felt a deep uh, connection spiritually through nature. Like, like I went to Catholic church and I, I love the community and I love the singing, but I didn't really understand what they were talking about. I didn't really, didn't really resonate for me, not negatively, it just, it, it, I didn't connect, you know, it's like listening to this kind of music and this kind of music. It's all right, but this one really resonate with this music. So it's kind of like that, but we'd get home from church and I'd get out of the car and I would go and climb a tree. And there's a tree right up in front of our house, the magnolia tree. And I would climb to the top of it and I could literally see the whole neighborhood. And I felt more connected to, I'm using air quotes for anybody listening, uh, God um, through nature than I did in the church. And um, I'm reminded that, you know, church isn't necessarily the building you are in. It's the space you create in your life to drop into that connection with whatever it is that you call it. You know what I mean? And there's so many names that we can call it. And even with uh, atheists, you know, there is a connection to, you know, things that there's a name for that people connect to. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's something that really, um, triggered into my spiritual path, uh, St. Francis of Assisi and his connection with animals and, and plant life and just understanding that there's a deeper connection with uh, life beyond just humans um, and, and really learning to love and appreciate and care for that life as much as we care for ourselves and each other in a human community. So, so those names are really important to me. The name Cornflower, I, um, I used to babysit when I was in high school. That's how I got my money. Um, fortunately, I, as I was raised Catholic, so there was a lot of people, a lot of Catholic families with a lot of kids. <laughs> so I was able to make a lot of money. Um, so that was really great for me. But there was a dear friend of mine from high school who had a baby in high school. And um, the partner she had the baby with just disappeared and wasn't there for her. And um, so I would go and babysit her son and let her go and do the laundry or go hang out with her sister friends and just take a load off. You know, being a mom is literally the greatest and hardest job on the planet. And so to give her a brief moment so she can have a bit of a normal life or take care of things that are feeling too overwhelming, I really wanted to do. Um, so anyway, he was about two years old at this point, and I was taking him to the kitchen to get a treat, and he turned around and pointed at me and said, cornflower, like very adamantly, and he was, you know, he was, he was just in the process of speaking and saying words and starting to form words and, and, and almost phrases and sometimes in sentences, and uh, so he said, cornflower, and I said, what's that? And he goes, cornflower, and I went, are you saying that I am cornflower? And he said it again and like like in agreement, cornflower. <laughs> so 
So, you know, like I was mentioning earlier, I was a very effeminate young man and uh, was not really, I was bullied a lot. I had my food stolen from me. I got beat up. I had got wedgies. I got money stolen from me. I was taunted. That was hard. It was hard. And so to then go around and tell people my name was Cornflower was not something I was very interested in doing at that time. So it was just between me and the boy. And then uh, about a year later, um, some other really good friends of mine, the mother was a substitute teacher and uh, the oldest son was my age and we got in lots of trouble together in school. Um, and then he had two younger sisters and um, the middle sister uh, was graduating. And just a real quick history lesson on this family. The, the family were like, you know, really hippie and earthy. And I didn't really know many other people like that. And the mother, the substitute teacher, she would, you know, I was getting bullied a lot. And so she would, she could see that I needed love and support in school and just like a helping hand. And so I would walk into class and she'd go, well, hi there, sunshine. And, you know, just really caring for me. Um, but they, she, they would give me silly nicknames like coconut. Uh, and so then I was at the graduation party for the middle daughter and, uh, they said, we, we've got the nickname. This is the nickname. It's going to stick with you the rest of your life. And the mother in her very hippie new agey kind of way said, you are the reincarnation of a blue fourth dimensional cartoon character named cornflower. And they didn't know that the boy had given me that name. And so at that point, at that point, I was like, okay, all right. So I guess I'm supposed to go as cornflower because that's really trippy. <laughs> so I took on the name. Yeah. And so I took on the name and started using it. About six months later, I was studying the indigenous heritage of the valley I was born in, which is known as Holston Valley. Uh, and it's in northeastern Tennessee in the United States of America. Um, and I found out, I found an essay actually online that uh, was written about the Cherokee tribe, which was the tribe that was here before the white settlers came in. And the, this essay talked about their golden period, like a time of much thriving and flourishing for the tribe. And the leader was named Cornflower. And the leader was also named Princess Cornflower. So it was, when I read that, I started crying and I felt like full body shivers and chills. Um, and I realized that that wasn't my name, but something I'm supposed to carry with me a gift to the world, something that is bigger than me um, that I'm meant to bring to the world. And so I do that by going as Cornflower and being asked the question, how did you get your name Cornflower? Um, and I think it's really powerful that it was a feminine, it was a woman. Later in 2016, on that same tour, when I was in Canada, I was playing in Vancouver Island uh, Victoria, Vancouver Island, and um, an Apache man 
came up to me after my set and he asked me, where did you get the name Cornflower? And so I was going through the same story I just shared with you, except about halfway through, he got impatient and said, well, by the way, uh, one of our greatest leaders uh, in the Apache tribe was named Cornflower and he used to sing sacred songs to his people. And so that was really profound because both a female and a male were both named Cornflower from two different, completely different tribes uh, on Turtle Island who, you know, one brought peace to their tribe and one sang songs to their tribe. And so, you know, I don't take the name lightly, basically. It is uh, a sacred, I, I consider it a, like a medicine bundle. For those of you who don't know what a medicine bundle is, it, you know, it's like a, it's a sacred uh, bundle of um, talismans, ener things that carry energy or meaning or something that connects you with yourself, your spirit, your purpose that you carry wrapped up in a bundle that you take with you on your life path. And then you accumulate more of these talismans as you go and it fills the bundle. And so for a medicine bundle, for me, this name is a medicine bundle. It has in itself, the name carries so much more than I could ever accumulate over one lifetime. Um, and it actually reminds me, I read this book called The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukoff. Uh, and if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's an excellent book. But in it, he talks about soul and that soul exists beyond time and space, and everyone is connected to a soul. Um, and what's amazing is that a soul can incarnate simultaneously, so meaning it can be in multiple incarnations all at once. And because it's free of time and space, that means that those incarnations could be in the past and the future as well as now. So when thinking of reincarnation, it really transformed my perspective on it because what I realized was that I'm actually one of many incarnations of cornflower happening simultaneously. Uh, that those things that happened in the past and the things that will happen in the future are all actually happening in this present moment uh, from this perspective of the soul. And so I feel like I am, you know, I've got a team. <laughs> I'm not alone. You know, I've got a team that I'm with that all are here to expand and awaken and grow uh, the soul's consciousness. Um, my question is, is that soul, every sing is every single human a part of one soul? Uh, or is it multiple clusters of souls? So that's a question to you and your listeners. Uh, I don't know, but it's a really deep one. And hopefully it doesn't send you to an insane asylum thinking about it, but it's a pretty powerful thing to ponder over a cup of tea. The interconnectedness of all things and the extent of that as well. No, I've never heard a question put like that before about the soul. When we met in person, Cornflower, you'd started this um, journey that was really focused on your well-being and personal health. Um, that you'd, um, you'll, you can say more about it, but you'd cut a few things from your diet and you'd started um, an exercise regime and all sorts. Um, and just how this uh, prioritizing of your own health recently coincides with this uh, 
your music journey and your career and life journey at the moment as well. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I, as I mentioned, I had a history of drug use and, uh, and I was raised in the South, which, you know, it's all about that sweet French cooking, uh, lots of butter, lots of flour, lots of sugar, um, lots of bacon. (laughs) Um, so I have, um, I've been, I've been really, you know, really hit by the pandemic with depression. Uh, I had had a huge tour that was booked uh, basically over three quarters of the year of 2020 that I had to cancel almost a hundred some dates of shows, um, thousands of dollars lost and a lot of momentum for me getting out into the world and sharing my music had gotten squashed by, and you know, this story is repeated a billion or so times across the world at this point. Um, people who had things planned that ended up not happening. So, um, uh, about in, I would say October, November, it really came to a head for me. I was deep in depression. I was crutching really hard on marijuana and smoking really heavily uh, to try to break out of the depression and anxiety I was feeling. I was up late into the night, you know, three or four in the morning, just stressing about my life. And, you know, in this whole situation, will I get to do music in front of people again? Will I get to connect with people? Because I'm a I love connecting in person and holding people's hands and hugging people. And I love the interaction and being close. And, you know, that the pandemic had basically made that so that you can't do any of that, you know? And so um, I was pretty broken up about it. And, and there was a moment where I took a big toke off of a joint and was saying, what, well, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. And, and then I heard that again, and I looked at the joint, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I was like, okay. And then I started thinking about certain sabotage patterns, and I went, I can't do this anymore. And I started catching that I had, I was like, I was expecting some third party to intervene. Um, and I realized that I was the intervener, that it was, that it was me, that that I was the answer to my own question. Um, and so very grateful. Uh, you know, I know not everyone gets that and needs help in other ways. And if you're listening to this and you need help and you can't find that inside of yourself, please reach out for help. Um, I was in a very dark space, but the dark within my dark is where I found my light. It's a quote from the song by Trevor Hall, The Fruitful Darkness. And the fruitful darkness is all around us. And that the darkness is not something to be afraid of. It's actually the womb of creation. And it's where all things return and are born from. And, uh, and so in that moment, I was born again, not as any religious thing, but as me. Um, the me that I think I've always thought I could be and that other people who loved me always saw that I could be emerged finally from the chrysalis of that depression and that next morning even though i'd only gotten about three hours of sleep because the moment that that all cracked open i dropped into sleep i fell directly to sleep i was no longer anxious i was no longer depressed i just like felt the most peace i'd felt in months and i woke up like at seven in the morning three hours later 
and was like, oh, I need to meditate again. I hadn't done that in a while. I used to meditate a lot. And um, so I started meditating. And then when I completed my meditation, I went, I need to get back into yoga. I'm going to do, I'm going to do some yoga I'm going to do some asana. And so I did some flow and my body just wanted more. So when I completed, my brother had sent me some workout videos and I went, ah, I'm going to do some push-ups. And so I started doing push-ups. So then that became a daily thing. And now I've been doing it every day for almost a year. And uh, at each significant moment, it just like, like after the first month, I felt like a different person. Two months later, I felt like a stronger person, not only physically, but like my mental clarity, my emotional clarity, my ability to parse the complexities of my emotions and just the emotional landscape of the world we live in was, uh, it was like I had a filing cabinet and I could just like open it up and pinpoint, oh, that's that file, that's that folder. And by me creating that mental space and doing yoga and breathing into the parts of myself that were tight, and then by doing the workout and building my strength to, to be able to face what the world brings to me, for me to learn and grow from, I just had the strength, the clarity of mind, and the emotional capacity and bandwidth to hold it all. And so that's been transformative. And then um, at the beginning of the summer, I stumbled onto an intuitive healer who pointed out some things about my diet that I needed to remove uh, to test and be away from for a few months. And then, and then when after five or six months to start including them again and see how my body responds. And so I'm in the process of bringing foods back in. Um, but then also at the beginning of the summer, I've been wanting to re-engage psychedelics for about a decade. And I'd been too afraid because my experience with drug use and I was concerned that it could possibly cause a relapse or anyway, short story long, I learned about microdosing and the power of microdosing mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms. And um, there's a man named Paul Stamets, who's world renowned for his work with mycelium and mushrooms. And uh, he actually, in 2017, came up with a patent for what he calls a psi vitamin. And it's a nootropic vitamin that it, uh, is meant to be taken daily uh, through a, a protocol where he mixes a small, very small, uh, non-hallucinogenic dose of psilocybin based on your weight, the weight of your body, and mixed with niacin B3 and lion's mane, which is also another mushroom. And both lion's mane and psilocybin, the psychedelic mushroom, uh, both are considered epigenetic. Uh, they're, they're able to create an epigenetic neurogenesis, which means they can actually create neurons and new nerves and rebuild old ones and heal current nerve issues, as well as help with PTSD, help with anxiety, help with depression, help with memory recollection, I feel like I'm a secret superhero when I'm on it because I can still function heavy machinery. It's not, you know, unsafe if you do it at the right level. And there's a whole process of if you are to do this, which I don't recommend everyone doing it on their own. I have a history with psychedelics and, and know really well what my levels are and how to test it in a safe container away from heavy machinery and away from responsibilities. 
um, and I have the wherewithal to do that. Not everyone does. Um, there are psychedelic therapists that are now popping up around the world who are helping people learn how to do this and walking them through the process, which I highly recommend, uh, especially if you're dealing with any kind of anxiety, depression. It's changed my life because the remaining anxiety and depression I was experiencing, the microdosing has completely removed from my life. Uh, and the good news is that it's not addictive. Uh, and it is, um, yeah, it's not addictive, which is incredibly a major piece. And there's zero side effects. Now, there is a very small percentage of humans who have a negative response to psilocybin mushrooms. And so that's why it's important that if you don't know how to take care of yourself in an experience of being on psychedelics, uh, you need to seek help with that and, and support uh, with, from people who have a history or education around that. Um, but anyway, again, short story long, it, it has been the, it like there's going to be life before that for me and life after that. Um, and I can, my sight has gotten better. My hearing has gotten better. Um, my ability to taste things has gotten better. My ability to smell has gotten better. Uh, my ability to navigate very hard situations has amplified times 10. Um, I've been in very deeply uh, emotional conversations and hard, angry conversations where I've been able to listen, hold a deeper, compassionate space from my heart and be able to break things down in a way to where I'm able to communicate and articulate my needs and also respond to the other person and hear their needs and articulate what they're going through in a really loving way and not in a uh, violent or aggressive way. Um, and so it's been life-changing for me. And so between the meditation, yoga, and uh, physical fitness work I've been doing and the microdosing, I feel like I have all the tools I need to be exactly who I'm supposed to be here on this planet. So I highly recommend meditation practice. I use Headspace, uh, which is an incredible app that you can get on your phone. You can watch it on Netflix. They have a website. Uh, and I definitely recommend getting the subscription. They're incredible. Um, then with yoga, I just go on YouTube and watch yoga with Adrian. She's awesome. Uh, but then I'll take yoga classes with my friends online who are offering classes. And that's been a lot of fun. Um, and then with my workouts, uh, I've been using a guy named Chris Heria online. Um, and he's hardcore, but he pushes me to my limits and, and helps me break through them. And uh, I, 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 I'm, I've never been this happy with my body. I've, I feel the most embodied and grateful for my body and who I am and what I was born with uh, than ever before because of all of this. So it's been pretty tr transformative and life-changing for me. Amazing. It's inspiring to listen to you. Sound like you're in a great place. I was going to add as well, I completely edit this bit out as well. That I recently watched the documentary, is it The Fantastic Life of Fungi? Yeah, Fantastic Fungi. Yeah. And yeah. Um, which I think the guy you mentioned at the start was yeah, fe yes. featured throughout. I found that absolutely amazing. Mm. Anyway, let's move on to the quick fire questions. Yeah, absolutely. So in one word, what does the phrase finding your purpose mean to you? Um, I would say awareness. 
uh, in that awareness is the tool through which purpose will be found. Being aware of your life and um, not beware, but being aware, two very different energies. Uh, be, beware is very kind of fearful and frightening, but being aware is opening and uh, enlightening. And I think the, you know, the, there's different ways of having awareness, greater awareness, and um, there's many different ways to it, but um, I feel like that's the key for me to finding my purpose. And as you were saying earlier, the process of finding your purpose is a constantly moving target. Um, and for the longest time, I applied it to what I do in the world. And I recently shifted that to who and how I am. Um, and that, so that, that was a nice flip for me uh, in that it wasn't about the medium through which that I was doing it. It was how I was doing it and the why and there's, and you know, who I am as I am doing it was more important than the, the what. So second question is, what is the one book that you would love to share with as many people as possible? So the book that first cracked me open was Be Here Now by Ram Dass. Uh, it presented to me for the first time the understanding that I am not my body, um, that I'm living very briefly in a body, but that I am more than that. And that was a pretty big shift for someone in their teens, uh, late teens, to have that information be downloaded to them. So Ram Dass, be here now. Um, and then really tying for first place to your answer for now, I would probably say is between The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukov and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Um, I have met the both of them. I'm actually really close friends with Gary Zukov and he is um, an incredible messenger of this wisdom. It, that book actually changed Oprah Winfrey's life and changed the trajectory of her life from the Oprah Winfrey show to the super soul work that she's now doing. It's all connected to her reading the seat of the soul. And uh, yeah, that's a life-changing book and a new earth by Eckhart Tolle. I got to study with him for many years and he, his ability to articulate the present moment and offer guideposts to finding that within yourself has been irreplaceable for me. So I think those three books, <laughs> if they could be smashed up into one would be pretty incredible, but because they're each so potent and have been such a major part of my life, I would really recommend all three. And how would you like to be remembered? <sighs> That's a deep question. <laughs> when they remember me, I would hope that they would have a smile on their face and in their heart. Um, that I, will, I would have contributed something special to them finding themselves or becoming at peace with who they are or finding their purpose or becoming inspired to create in this life 
uh, in a way that benefits themselves and others and a joy, a feeling of joy, a sense of joy and love when they remembered me would be, I feel like my, I, I will have fulfilled uh, my, my purpose here at this time. <laughs> very deep answer to a very deep question. And our final one is, if you had to give someone one piece of advice or quote about finding your purpose, what would this be? So I would say to trust your intuition and your heart, even if it feels like what it's guiding you to will hurt or be painful emotionally. It is so important to listen to your intuition and your heart. That's like your inner GPS uh, that's guiding you on your journey here on this planet. And um, when we push that off for what our mind says is the better option or the more financially stable option or the one that doesn't hurt this person's feelings, um, we are denying the world our unique gift we have something unique to share and our intuition is guiding us. And so trust and listen to your intuition, no matter what, that would be my, like, like, like literally fight for it to, to, and if you don't know how to listen to your intuition, because that's some, I know for myself, I've had struggle with it. That's the reason why I'm saying it now is because I've personally struggled with it and it's been hard being able to decipher the voice of fear and the voice of intuition, which I believe is the voice of love. Uh, and so really life comes down to two intentions, love or fear. And so the way that I've been able to regain my connection with my intuition and be able to listen to that so that I could follow my purpose has been by sensing the physical sensations in my body when a voice emerges. When I hear something, that, that silent voice that emerges from within, uh, the elusive, fearful voice will create contraction. It could even create some level of pain in your body or a pain point physically in your body or cause you to spiral out into fearful thoughts of past, future. Um, the loving, intuitive voice is calm, uh, is expanding, it's opening, uh, it's relaxed, it's at peace, um, it loves you and wants the best for you. And so, and, and you'll know because you'll feel there's no connection to time when the loving voice is speaking. Um, and the only time you get caught back up in time is when the fearful thoughts come racing in of what if you follow that voice. And so it's a dance and it's tricky and it takes practice. Uh, some people have it naturally. Some people have been raised around people who support them to follow that intuition. And in some instances, we're put into situations in life where we're taught to shut that down. And it makes it even harder once you've had to shut it down to reawaken it. So that's been my path. I hope that that can support anyone listening uh, to reawakening or reconnecting with their intuition. 
Amazing. Really, really helpful for me right now, actually. Is there You're anything, so welcome. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to say or cover um, before we come to a close? Yeah, I do. You know, I haven't brought up one very significant figure in my life who, without her, I would not be here. Um, my beloved partner of the past 16 years, Nikita Gearing. Uh, she has been and is uh, such a profound reflection in my life. I've grown as a human being in her reflection and she has shown me so much about how to be here on this planet in uh, a good way for myself and those around me. She's shown me so much love in some of the hardest times and her care and uh, in her intuition is very powerful. She has a very, very strong intuition. Um, and she's such a major part of the music. The music would not be where it's at without her. And uh, she has definitely been somewhat of a spiritual tether to me along my journey, reminding me of my purpose and my why, and always asking me the right question when I needed it the most. Um, and today is our anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, I'm so grateful for her. She has um, been a tremendous light uh, to me and continues to be and is such a gift to this world. She actually offers a daily mantra called I Am Mantra, which I highly recommend. Um, it's her personal practice she's been doing since she was 19. Uh, and she started posting them on Twitter uh, got like 12 years ago now. And she now has millions of people that like tune in to her stuff uh, from around the world. And um, if you haven't already heard of her, I Am Mantra, uh, I definitely recommend it. It's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. And she has a website, IamMantra.com, and an email list. And uh, she's just such a bright spot in this world and I'm so grateful that she exists. And I'm so grateful that she has been walking uh, alongside me on this journey. So definitely need to shout her out thank you so much for sharing so openly with us today i, I personally drew so much from that conversation and uh, yeah it was also a lot of things that i needed to hear at this time so yeah i can't thank you enough i will echo that thank you so much um i've actually got the seat of the soul on my shelf so i'm i'm gonna start that <laughs> directly yeah. straight after the podcast um, awesome yeah exactly what i needed to hear too thank you so much mm, bless you both thank you for doing this podcast i'm really excited to hear how it how it moves into the world and uh really honored to get to be a guest and um just wish you and your listeners just all the love in the world and hopefully we can do it again sometime thank you and when we met you gave me a heart to heart uh, left side to left side hug. So a big spiritual heart to heart hug right now. <laughs> yes. So so the left, so hugging on each other's left side connects your hearts. And when you're doing that, if you can hold the hug for 17 seconds or more, it actually allows for communication between the bodies uh, to have a deeper connection um, and so I always try to do heart to heart and I'm the guy that gives the longer, awkwarder hugs. Uh, and so I recommend long, awkward hugs with one another, <laughs> heart to heart. I love that.
It's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant and beautiful at the same time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Cornflower. That was awesome. Before we officially come to a close, we'd like to share with you one of Cornflower's songs. So here's You Are the Medicine. And it is such a blessing that you can heal everyone you know. I see now, brother, will you let that flow? You gotta open up your heart and soul. Because the world and everyone you know, they really need your medicine right now. I know you feel it, the power emanating from your spirit. A medicine so powerful, you know you got to give it like a present. Don't hesitate to wait too long to give it. Now's the moment. Just keep yeah, the potion hits a ring, I love divine An anecdote to counteract the poison of the mind So open up your book and let your pages unfold Don't leave your story untold, yo Yourself and the lesson for your soul to remain strong. 
The light, it is a vehicle for all your inspiration, but the darkness also plays a major part. A thought of balance in the world will help you see a higher self to bring the medicine to hope to right the wrongs. Your life, it is a prayer, so someone tell me where. Yeah, we can find a temple when your God is everywhere. It's not the things you wear or the music that you play. It's the quietude of mind to help to bring the lion's share. You see people in you, cause everything you do is devotion in the holy recognition of the truth. Yeah, and if we only knew the humble are the few, or you could buy your head and you could see it all in you. Well, yes, it's true. Thanks for listening to the Squiggly Lives podcasts with your hosts, Helena and Claire. Head over to our website, squigglylives.com to subscribe and hear more shows. That's all for this episode. See you next time.